Welcome to Dear Dual Perspective. I'm Dr. Emma Eaton. I'm a registered clinical psychologist. And I'm Dr. Sarah McFinnells, a policy researcher. So we'll answer your questions from the micro perspective of individual relationship dynamics based on Emma's clinical training and the macro perspective of social trends based on Sarah's policy background. You can submit your anonymous questions through the link in the podcast description, and we'll answer one question in each upcoming episode. Well, welcome. We're back with uh, the wilderness episode of Dear Dual Perspective. Emma and I are recording this from my camper at Snafu Lake this time. And funnily enough, we're going to do a question that is the complete opposite of hanging out in the woods with no cell service. This one's all about um, artificial intelligence or AI. So here's the question. There's been so much talk about chat GPT and AI lately, and I'm finally catching up to the curve and have looked into it. I recognize this radically changes a lot of things for school and the workforce, as well as some home life things like asking it to meal plan for you. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And to further this conversation, do you see a role for ChatGPT to solve big problems we have in society, like the mental health crisis, health inequality, and global warming? Thanks. So I thought this would be a fun time to mention that um, I actually used AI to help us name the podcast. Once we developed a concept, I typed it up into ChatGPT, uh, which is one AI tool, it's a generative AI um, predictive text model. And I asked it for suggestions. So we ended up combining a couple of them to come up with Dear Dual Perspective. So I thought that would be kind of like a fun fact <laughs> for our listeners. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, generative AI and ChatGPT, it's important to be clear about what these things are. Like they are predictive text. They are based on generating the next likely word based on the last word that was used. I think I hear a lot of people talking about a lot of like different computer assisted tools as if they're all AI. Uh, lots of them are just programs. They're not based on algorithms and machine learning. And I think like there are others that are besides ChatGPT, like there's Dolly that makes pictures. I've used one uh, called Elicit that is calls itself the AI research assistant where you can give it your research question and then it generates a table of like probably relevant papers and it summarizes the abstracts for you and you can have it filter based on different study criteria. It's quite cool. Um, so yeah, there are lots of these different tools and they're proliferating. There's more of them all the time. So I think this is a fun question. And I, Emma, I want to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I, I've, I had so many thoughts about this question and thank you person who submitted this. Um, and thank you everyone who submits questions. Um, I'm really looking forward to chatting to you about it today, Sarah. Um, one of the, I mean, one of the first things like when they mentioned meal planning and they mentioned um, some of those things that like, are like daily thing. Like I don't enjoy meal planning or those kind of daily mm -hmm. grind things. Yeah, I kind of have it are, down to a science at this I, point. I know you're so good at it, and I wish I had. But anyway, yeah. um, those things are the things I want machines to help me with. Oh right? gosh, like, yes. These are the things that, like, yes, if you can take this like grind out of my day, week, month, um, then like fabulous. So happy, and and if that is employed in ways that are equitable like maybe it can help with some of the things that contribute to some of the sexism and some of the stuff that we've talked about on mm -hmm. the podcast yeah. deal before. with the imminent tasks yeah yeah i don't really want it and it, this is what it seems to be doing is that transcendent stuff like making art like yeah. i want to make my own art no thank you i want to do my own writing yeah as well like i think part of my discomfort with chat gpt is that i have spent a long time honing my skills as a writer. And now there's this thing <laughs> that you can put in a couple of questions and it can just generate pages and pages and pages of text instantly. Like that takes me hours and days and weeks. So I think that's some of my kind of 
angst about it is it's like potentially taking something that I've worked really hard to get good at and that keeps me employed and can do it not very well, but not well. serviceably um, very quickly. So I can see why people have a lot of like discussion and this topic's kind of been a lightning rod yeah. in a lot of fields. I have to say I did recently just like sometimes I just put stuff into chat GPT, partly just as a writer's block thing. Like, oh, totally. I was trying to write um, like a letter to someone and it was like, you know, of a personal nature. And I was like, oh, what would chat GPT say about this? And what it wrote back was so robotic and like banal that I was like, oh, man, this is not if I send this, this is <laughs> this is going to be embarrassing. So I really don't think... Um, and I mean, we'll get into this a little bit later in terms of like writing quality, but I guess we're maybe not, maybe someday we will be there and mm -hmm. I don't know what, like, what that is going to mean, but. I do think it takes this really interesting tone. Like it kind of sounds mansplainy. Mm -hmm. It's like very declarative and confident sounding. A hundred percent. And then you dig into it and you're like, really though? Really? Like, is that true? And no. if you ask it for citations, it just makes them up. So it, it is kind of challenging from that standpoint to figure out where it's getting this information from that it gives you. Mm -hmm. Well, we, I guess that's a thing, right? We don't know. We don't know it's a bit of a black where it's box. getting the information from. And that's part of some of the problems I think that we're going to discuss is that if we don't know where it's getting the information from or what the biases mm -hmm. are or all of these things, some of the problems that you've suggested that it could have a role to solve, um, it's probably going to perpetuate instead mm -hmm. i think that's a that's a great point and it's there's been a lot of discussion about this in higher ed and because such a, a big part of higher education and how we evaluate whether students have learned something is we ask them to write about it and we usually don't make them do that in a space where we can watch them do it we usually have them you know take it home and type it and bring it back and so there's been all these conversations about like well how will i know if my students are using it to cheat and i kind of think like that's the wrong question um, as a geriatric millennial, I remember this like fear and lots of discussion about Wikipedia when it first kind of became a thing and people being like, wow, this is students are going to just cheat using Wikipedia and get bad information and it's not vetted and all this stuff. And I mean, I think we just now acknowledge that Wikipedia is a tool and you can read it for generally a pretty good overview of most topics and then look at the citations that are provided mm -hmm. and read those. And usually you're in a pretty good place at that point. So I think some of this is just that this is new and people are often ha like have to adjust to new tools and new things. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it's going to kind of change how we do stuff in the workplace and at school. Um, and it's going to require people to develop new skills, like getting really good at generating prompts that give you the information you want out of it. Like mm -hmm. I, if you just type in a basic question, that's often not kind of like doesn't get you a really great product out of it, but you can, you know, refine things and it can be really useful. Like I've seen people using it to translate computer programs from like C++ into Python and stuff like that, which is really neat. And something that previously is super time consuming and not really value added work. Or like fun. No, I mean, I don't, I don't know C++, but I can't imagine that that would be fun. Yeah. So I think maybe one thing we could talk about is like what it's training itself on. It's always training itself based on what it finds on the internet. Mm -hmm. And the internet is not as much as we wish. It was a really equitable space where, you know, actually it reflects uh, people generally. And we know that people are living in systems that are broadly inequitable and perpetuating a lot of 
um, inequalities, bias. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. you know, racist lots systems, lots of sexist systems, the patriarchy, um, all poverty. of those. Lots yes. of poverty, income inequality. And, and there's also just like a lot of inaccurate information on the internet. So like mm -hmm. if, if people thought Wikipedia was bad, <laughs> quick deep dive onto um, actually basically anything and, and you can get down some pretty interesting rabbit holes, right? So, but this is the thing where if, if it's always training itself on what exists out there, it's going to actually kind of wind up magnifying mm -hmm. these things. And I have read some more recent news articles that say that's that's what's happening. Like it's kind of getting worse in some fields over time instead of better because there's misinformation and like bad information circulating. And it doesn't know, right? It's not. It's not. It's, it's not, not supposed sentient. to know. Sentient. It's no. not in like we call it artificial intelligence, and that's okay, fine, call it that. But like it actually cannot think critically. No. It cannot think at all. No. So it can't say actually. Hold on, wait a minute. I. I've read three articles that say this and one article that say that says this, um, but these three articles can't be correct because that no. like it it's just predicting the next word, right? Yeah. Like that's all it's doing. I also think there's some really interesting issues around like copyright and credit for work. So I've got uh, work that I've done that's available online. That's been the things that I've written and there's no way of having that work credited if it's generated, like pieces of it are generated through an AI. Like I did a really interesting exercise last semester with some students where I had AI generate some um, simple statements about different research paradigms, like really basic, non-controversial subject, and had the students also like go on Google or go on the library search engine and look for similar statements about the same types of things. And we could start to see like, oh, the same forward string showed up in ChatGPT as we found on this website, but then there was another one from this one. And so you could kind of start to see where it had pulled some pieces from, but mm. it, there's no credit given in mm. any of those those things, right? So I think there's also that question of like, is this fair and reasonable to the writers and artists that have put their time and effort into developing their skills and publishing work that's now being used uncredited and unpaid as a training module for artificial intelligence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's not That's not equitable, especially when... Is, is, well, academia and art, I guess I would say, are, are already very inequitable and underpaid spaces, but things that we really do mm -hmm. need, right? So we actually do need people to do, we do need people to generate, to do research. Mm -hmm. to, and we also just, do, like, whether or not everyone is always like, oh, God, we've spent money on this weird art grant. But like, actually, we do need art. If you mm -hmm. <laughs> please refer to a previous episode which i'm sure ai has also listened to yeah right. um about how people people need those things right yeah. meaning is important to us it's what makes us people instead of robots you know that sort of i think that's really important to have that artistic and human element in things i enjoy not being a robot you enjoy it yeah yeah generally i mean i don't know what being a robot is like but perhaps you wouldn't have the capacity to know whether or not you enjoyed it if you were one. I guess that's true. Anyway, we're not going to go into the philosophy of robots today. One thing that I thought might be kind of fun as part of this episode would be to ask ChatGPT the second part of this question. Um, the role of ChatGPT to solve big problems we have in society, like the mental health crisis, health inequality, and global warming. And so I did that, and I requested that it provide three to four paragraphs of explanation in an easy-to-understand essay format. So I thought what might be fun now um, would be 
to read that. And then Emma and I can kind of talk about each paragraph in turn and sort of our thoughts and critique of it. So the first one was absolutely. AI tools have a pivotal role to play in addressing some of the most pressing challenges facing society today, including the mental health crisis, health inequality, and global warming. These technologies, if harnessed effectively, can offer innovative solutions and support to tackle these complex issues. And I have to be honest, this kind of just made me laugh when I read this first paragraph. Like it sounds like such a earnest first year student paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, uh, like, no, the only like little bit of doubt in there is like, if hardest effectively, it's like a hundred percent, it's definitely going to do this. No problem. Um, and it's going to solve everything. Yeah. Just the tone is really interesting. It's that very like confident declarative tone that sounds really convincing when you first hear it. And then you're kind of like, wait, really? Maybe. Okay. So we'll keep going. Um, firstly, in the context of the mental health crisis, AI powered chatbots and virtual therapists can provide accessible and affordable mental health support to a wide range of people. These tools offer immediate responses, 24-7 availability, and personalized assistance, reducing the stigma associated with seeking help and making mental health resources more accessible. AI can also analyze vast amounts of data to identify patterns and risk factors, enabling early intervention and tailored treatment plans for individuals at risk. Okay, Emma, I know you have lots of opinions about this I do. This is where the bulk of my opinions are. So firstly, is there a mental health crisis? Sure. Um, but there was like the mental health crisis is a symptom. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing that just happened that can be solved by machines. Mental health poor outcomes are always correlated with marginalized groups facing oppression, poverty, yep. trauma, food insecurity. Yes, yeah. all kinds of things that create legitimate anxiety, depression and other mental health symptoms related to trauma in groups of people. So you that's what all the research says. It's not really a question. Are is there a genetic component? Absolutely. Is the genetic component made vastly worse by mar- marginalization and oppression? Always. Yeah. And so it's very frustrating to me that anyone would think and do I think that counselors are going to solve the mental health crisis either? No, I also do not think that. Well, that's just like the further individualization of a systemic problem, right? Like, have you seen a therapist about that? Like therapy is not going to make sure you have enough to eat on a weekly basis. Absolutely not. And that's really, it's also very hard on the therapists who are yes. very yes. highly trained people who are great at their jobs in a lot of cases, and they still can't provide you a house. And if you don't have a place where you can sleep at night, for a whole eight, seven to eight hours, and your children are also going to be safe, then you will be legitimately anxious. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing I can say to you, no matter how good I am at therapy, to fix that. And so it's very frustrating to me that anyone would think that an AI-powered chatbot is going to be able to solve that. Now, are there, there are AI-powered chatbots out there. And you know what? They probably do have like some role to play. I've definitely spoken to people who've been like, yeah, like I went on just to see what it was like and it gave me some pretty uh, great ideas. And that's fine. Like there's mm-hmm. there's definitely a role for maybe something to re- like a bit like a support line mm-hmm. that could be like, hey, have you taken your medication today? Have you yeah. tried, you know, having a shower? Like yeah. maybe eat a food. Yeah. It, it might be able to give you some like basic suggestions or like at the maybe in the best case scenario with a really great like CBT powered AI chatbot, like maybe help you 
generate some thought challenges for mm -hmm. some really persistent thoughts. Like those things are are great. And if that's helpful to people, like I am not going to be mad about anything that's helpful to people. But it just that does not going to reduce stigma associated with seeking help. In fact, I actually think that where stigma gets reduced with seeking help is again when everyone understands the root causes of these problems and when you get to sit in front of an actual human because remember we're herd animals mm -hmm. and part of what works in therapy is it doesn't matter what the model of therapy is some of the time you know in, in, in actual case a lot of the time it's sitting in front of a person who accepts you that unconditional acceptance even when you tell them something that you feel very ashamed about Mm -hmm. Having that unconditional positive regard makes a big difference because you suddenly don't feel cast out of the herd anymore and that anxiety can reduce. Mm -hmm. And a machine is not going to be able to provide that for you if you know it's a machine that is just a saying that because that's what it's programmed to say. And if it doesn't tell you that it's a machine, then there's a huge ethical issue there for yes. sure. It also occurred to me as you were talking about all these things that these types of tools that are helpful to certain types of people, those certain types of people are probably also like reasonably well-off white individuals. And it's probably just going to further exacerbate these divides because the people who are most going to benefit from these tools are the ones who kind of had the smallest problems to solve anyway. Is that fair in your, in your case, do you think? I guess so. I mean, I haven't really thought that deeply about it, but I guess a, like a lot of the research and like just the bulk of the stuff on the internet mm -hmm. probably is that they could learn from or that would be feed into these or who would make them yeah would be all of those like, like it kind of reminds me of that ta that like automatic tap that was made that only worked for white people because yeah. they'd only tested it on white people's skin tones yeah because the person who started it and prototyped it was probably white because we know that most of the people with computer science backgrounds of you know these types of fields are white like there is a big racial and gender divide there's a massive in these types yeah. of things especially in stem so yeah i mean i guess it would depend on like who made the service and whether or not like marginalized groups went and made a service that was mm -hmm. specifically for them like i, I don't want to say that that's not possible um it's just that like coming back to like a computer program just isn't going to solve the actual reason that there's more mental health stuff whether it's a biological problem mm -hmm. or a systemic problem yeah. and then the last thing i want to say is that people really and i don't mean to say this to bash my own profession but like the the risk assessment tools that we have are great for a snapshot in time they're based on a lot of research and they're important to use but they're really not as predictive as people think they are um, and they need to be used with like a lot of professional expertise and, and a lot of understanding of the limitations of them. Mm -hmm. And what I always really worry about with these kind of things is people go like, there's a computer program and maybe it's someone who doesn't have a lot of experience in the field. And they think because there's a computer program, they can just use the computer program in isolation mm -hmm. and replace a person with it and I, i'm no. not trying to say this to like protect my own i have absolutely no interest in working in like the risk assessment field that stuff terrifies me but the reality is is that the reason like that any of that works is because there's a very good person behind it yeah and replacing 
professionals with a machine that, that cannot think critically. It cannot know if the person is lying mm -hmm. to it. It yes. can't know any of those things. It cannot place it into the larger, wider, broader perspective in a critical thinking way. Um, it's just not going to solve things. It's going back to the first thing. It's not going to come up with an innovative solution. No, it's just not going to do that because it can't. It doesn't yeah. have that ability. And so like, sure, it's like analyzing patterns and stuff like maybe useful, like, sure. Um, if it takes away again, some of that like grind work of yeah. like, you know, scoring questionnaires or things mm -hmm. like that, but we already have programs for that. Yeah. I've seen some stuff where, um, not specific to mental health, but AI has been used in like a diagnostic kind of way of like reviewing things and flagging them for further closer mm -hmm. look. And I feel like that's probably a really good use of these types of tools where it's just like, Hey, little heads up on this one, but it's still going to a human. I think anytime you're replacing a really well-trained human with a computer, that's probably motivated by financial resourcing constraints, not actually achieving a better outcome. Yeah. <clears throat> or people who just like like doing techie things, I think as well. Like people love a people love an easy solution. Yeah. But why do they love it though? Because it's usually cheaper than really well-trained humans who tend to be expensive. Cheaper or or like, maybe faster, I maybe, know. I don't know. Okay, we'll, we'll leave that one for now. Here's the second paragraph. Secondly, addressing health inequality is a multifaceted challenge and AI can contribute significantly. Machine learning algorithms can help healthcare providers identify underserved communities and allocate resources more equitably. Additionally, AI can assist in early disease detection and prevention, especially in remote or underserved areas by analyzing patient data to predict potential health risks and deliver timely interventions. Emma, you're, you're up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, I mean, in, in a lot of cases, we already know what the underserved communities yes, are and, totally and serving agree. them properly is a matter of like political will or spending the money to do it. Yep. Um, and so like, I mean, sure that machine learning algorithms could help identify mm -hmm. that. But we kind like, of already know who those people are. And like, yeah. That's relatively well known. And part of the issue around resource allocation, like you said, is like, we could just do that. We don't we, need the computer to tell us. We probably could do that. So I like, that's the thing with data. Like it's great to have data and then people have to like analyze and use that data properly. And mm -hmm. so if the, the, if the machine isn't allocating the resources more yeah. equitably, hopefully it has some sort of guardrails to do that better in this um, world that this chat GPT is made up, then like, no, that's probably not what's going to happen yeah. in that case. The, the we're, thing... we're cynical today. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm it's true, though. I'm cynical about machines and people, I guess. But... Yeah, I, I felt like that, too. I was like, really? We already know who these underserved communities are. We're already not doing that. Like, why did we all of a sudden shift? It's just, just I would like to see that. To do it. Yeah. But I don't think like if the, we don't need new tools to tell us that. Yeah, I, I do think um, perhaps in remote or underserved areas where there's a lot of um, like locum staff or people mm -hmm. who aren't there and, and they don't like people don't have a consistent service provider the thing that you just referenced where like maybe if the if the machine learning goes back on a file and like flags for patterns because mm -hmm. we know that there's a healthcare provider shortage and not everyone is able to read every file all yeah. the time yeah i think that I would be actually like quite helpful that could be that could be helpful i don't think that that's going to solve health inequality no um, but in terms of like having a role to play, I guess mm -hmm. 
that could probably, I mean, again, could probably be helpful on everyone's chart because actually even in like super well-served areas, like I don't think healthcare providers have time to review no. everyone's chart all the time and then really think deeply about it. No, there's um, a lot of time pressure, I think, in a lot of fields where that type of summary of past information and a, hey, look closer at these areas mm-hmm. could be really helpful. I could see that being helpful in education too, where maybe there's access to other files on, in a student's background or it can you know scan through feedback they've gotten from other instructors and flag that for me to be like, this is a consistent issue for the student. Maybe you need to spend more time on this. Like, I actually think that would be quite useful. Yeah, people, I mean, this is, this is a personal data issue, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. do you want this machine, like, where is this machine based? How is it using this information? Is totally. it using information from my file to inform how it learns about other mm-hmm. people's files? Like, where is that information stored? Yeah. Is it stored in a way, like how is it accessing it in the future? Who can see what it's already read? All of those things are things that like, it's not my favorite thing to have to think about, but like if the outcome is yes, like healthcare providers can spend less time reviewing charts. Although mm-hmm. I really, again, hope that it doesn't become this thing where like, why do you have to review a chart? The machine does it for you. Like yeah, it doesn't true. replace it. It might just be an extra help. Um, all those things aside, like maybe that could be helpful. Is it going to solve healthcare inequality? No, probably mm-hmm. not. Yeah. And again, I think that screening side of things, like I think I saw in the news last week that they were using AI and breast cancer screenings to review the scans and, you know, look at patterns and stuff. That's kind of cool. Maybe that's useful. Uh, but I, I think where we're highlighting all these things that might be useful is they're very small. These are not like ground shaking changes in systems. Yeah. And I, I mean, to be fair, like I'm not an expert in AI or data privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like in terms of solving the big underlying problems that underlie a lot of the things that you suggested, um, person who submitted the question, uh, I I just like for me, I'm like, I kind of think, oh, no, not, mm-hmm. not yet. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, lastly, in the fight against global warming, AI plays a crucial role in optimizing energy consumption, reducing carbon emissions, and monitoring environmental changes. Smart grids and energy management systems can balance energy supply and demand efficiently, reducing waste and promoting the use of renewable energy sources. AI-driven predictive models can also assist in climate modeling, helping us better understand and respond to the effects of global warming. I have thoughts. Can I go first? first. (laughs) So I think this one, actually, AI is probably going to make this problem worse because the servers that power all these cloud-based intensive machine learning things suck up so much electricity and they generate a ton of heat. So I think just on the hop, it's wrong. (laughs) And um, I think that the piece about like smart grids and energy management systems can balance energy supply, that's maybe possible. I think that's probably also possible using other types of tools. And we could do more of this right now if we were really interested in doing it. Like we kind of know what we need to do. And then the predictive models assisting in climate modeling they can do that. I think those are, that's, I don't know a ton about this side of things. I've seen a few papers where this is do like this has happened. And I think it's very cool from a research standpoint, but then someone still needs to listen to the results of that work and make actual changes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're not seeing. Like we know we need to reduce emissions. We know we need to reduce consumption and we're not doing that anyway. So is this an issue of needing more information to make decisions or inertia for a lot of reasons related to, political systems, capitalism, and like well-worn paths of 
development that benefits very wealthy people. I don't think it, I think it's more that stuff. I don't really think it's, we need more information that AI can generate or help generate in order to make these decisions and then we'll make them. Yeah, I, I mainly just want to say that I see a lot of like, don't worry, the, the machines are going to save us, technology will save us with climate change. Like we, we yeah, climate change is a problem, but we are, we're going to rely on technology for that. And, and I, I'm not an expert in this area, but so far the experts that I do trust to give information about this do not seem to think that just hopefully the computers will save us is like a great solution although it is very seductive and like something I wish I could believe Mm -hmm. Um, it would be so much easier for everybody if some computer was going to come along and save us but it's just probably from what I understand not and I think my worry mostly with that from a psychological standpoint is that when like it's very stressful to think that the earth is going to go on fire that your house is going to burn down that you won't be able to breathe in like 15 years um and by and large people would like to not feel stressed mm-hmm. and so buying into the idea that ai can save us from climate change um is part of the reason that people keep uh putting resources including their vote uh towards things that are not going to save us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and just relaxing and like i love relaxing super into it but like actually we we need i think to keep making those hard choices and that's um something that i feel like the ai this kind of a statement sounds like way too seductive mm-hmm. um it's so appealing it, it kind of works against it yeah i would love to believe that i yeah. really because then you can just keep doing so chill everything that you want and not make hard decisions right or not worry about the future that you cannot fully control in conclusion ai tools have immense potential to address these significant societal challenges however their deployment must be guided by ethical considerations transparency and inclusivity to ensure that these technologies benefit everyone and do not exacerbate existing inequalities with careful planning and responsible use ai can be a valuable asset in our collective efforts to create a more equitable healthy and sustainable future for all so that's the tail end of what ChatGPT had to say about this. I do just want to say just something about ethical considerations, trans- transparency, responsible use. When it comes to mental wellness or mental health crises, social media is a real problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and AI is already, it has been for quite some time, guiding the algorithms that is mm-hmm. driving polarity. Uh, polarization up yep. in society, m- making social media harder to put down, yep. which makes people's mental health far worse, um, creating these echo chambers and like increasing mental health diagnoses. And so- now we, through policy choices, cannot even post news articles in Canada that might correct some of this misinformation that comes from non-news sources. Yeah. And we know that actually it's not just sort of like doing that like benignly to try to you know whatever whatever oh no it's it's trying to manipulate people's emotions to make them stay on the platforms longer and not good emotions right like anger frustration fear all of those things make you stay on the like platform longer so like great uh chat bot thing that is talking to us like maybe if they had been used properly Mm -hmm. or well or ethically that wouldn't be the case but right now ai is not 
being used ethically or with transparency about any of these things. We had to have a whistleblower come and tell us about, mm-hmm. about all this. And so I'm very concerned that like, actually this, this horse is so far out of the stable that like oh, that, it, that thing is, it is gone. It is <laughs> it's really gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's not coming it's now back. now a feral horse next to Hayes Junction, yeah. right? Like <laughs> that horse is living in the bush. It's had horse babies. It's yeah. So I just, I, I really am very concerned about coming back to like the machine's going to save us. The, oh, don't worry if we just like, get back over here like social media could help us feel happier no Mm -hmm. it's not happening no it's not and i think in terms of like putting my my policy hat on now when i think about regulating this stuff it makes my brain want to explode Mm. because coming up with a regulatory framework for technology that is changing this quickly is really really difficult and it's such new technology i don't know that anybody really fully understands the implications like i think we're just now starting to see some of the implications of social media that were 15 years ago, really, like Facebook started in about 2006, seven, right? Um, and the internet, which became kind of more widely used across households 30 years ago, like I think it was about 1993 when mm. you could get an internet connection in your house. So I think it takes a long time to see the effects of these transformative and disruptive technologies on societies and regulating them and understanding what the effects might be and how to control those at the outset is really, really hard, if not impossible. So how do we develop systems to minimize the harm of these new technologies that are coming out while not also completely stopping innovation that could be helpful Mm -hmm. in its tracks? Like that's a really tricky question. Yeah, there's probably not a straightforward answer to that question. I don't even want to take a stab at it. Well, I think since we've been talking for half an hour already, we should probably leave that one for the next episode. Okay, for the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Please submit that to a different person. I can't answer it. (laughs) I would have to do a lot of reading to even come up with a reasonable sort of starting point on that one. Mm -hmm. So on that note, um, thanks, ChatGPT. We'll give you... um, credit for your contribution to our episode yeah, please give us credit when you start using our voices and our ideas and other things Absolutely. and thank you so much to the listener who submitted this question and uh, please submit new questions we're looking for new questions to keep um new episodes coming we can't keep the podcast going without our listeners who submit questions for us to answer we appreciate everyone and we cannot but just to be clear there is no black box on this we can't know who submitted the question to us there's no way that we can track backwards and figure out who it is so if that's ever been a concern of yours as long as you don't include so much personal information that we mm-hmm. know who you are because we know you or you tell us after which a lot of people do and we do appreciate of, knowing who yeah. submitted questions if they're comfortable telling us yeah that's always fun for us um but yeah otherwise like if you keep it pretty high level, we will not know it's you. Um, and we're and we won't try to find out either. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. That's it for the latest episode of Dear Dual Perspective. We would love to hear from you. You can submit your anonymous question for a future episode via the link in the podcast description. Music for this episode was provided by Coma Media from Pixabay. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Dear Dual Perspective and tune in for the next episode in two weeks. Thanks for listening.